morning once again. Church, great to have everybody here. Um, well, I mean, we started out, the attendance was pretty light, but we, it seems that, like we filled in as we've gone. I've gotten reports that some people showed up to Harbor Park thinking that we were having, I guess, another Tide service, two in a row. We got reports that people showed up at Chesapeake City Park thinking that it was Father's Day, but it's, it's not Father's Day, so... We're here today, but so it's great to have everybody here, but we will be at Chesapeake City Park next Sunday at 10.30. There will be no worship services here next week at 11.30. The 9 o'clock service will be here, but we will not be here at 11.30. Our interns, campus interns, are up at camp for a few days. They're um, getting some teaching. What kind of teaching is it, Dwayne? Biblical interpretation. Biblical interpretation and all that good kind of Bible stuff. So they're getting some great teaching up there. And um, we're here. So if you could please turn with me to John chapter 6. We're going to continue um, in our um, sermon series here in the Gospel of John. You know, there's been a debate raging among those who call themselves Christians since about 400 A.D., It's a debate that really at its heart centers around the issue of the goodness of man and free will. And on one hand, there are those who believe that man is completely, utterly, totally bad. And so bad that he cannot even make the good decision to respond to the gospel and be saved. And since he can't make this good decision, it has to be made for him by God. Therefore, those who are saved are only those whom God has irresistibly chosen, regardless of their will. Now, on the other hand of the argument, there are those who believe that while man may not be good, man is capable of making good decisions because he has free will. And this camp holds that since God loves everybody, he initiates and he offers salvation to all, but he allows man to exercise his free will in choosing to respond to God's love and therefore be saved. Did I explain that? Does that make sense? Basically, one says there's no free will, man is bad. The other says that man is not completely good, but he's capable of making good decisions and he has free will. And so this debate continues today between the Calvinists, who were the first group, and the Arminians, as they're called, who are the second group. Now, in our passage this morning, Jesus makes three statements regarding disbelief that we're going to look at that will bring us into this discussion about what it means to be drawn by the Father. And I really tried with the slides today. I know it's kind of cheesy but I'm just, I don't know, it just sometimes, you know, it just doesn't hit right. So anyway, please pray with me and we'll jump on into John chapter 6. Uh, Father, we uh, love you, God. We are just uh, thankful and grateful that we can have your love through your son, Jesus Christ. Thankful that you have given us a, a will to be able to choose to love you. Um, by our own choice, that you've not created us to be robots, and thankful that you have uh, held out the hope 
of Jesus Christ, the hope of your love, the hope of the gospel that we can look forward to and that we can choose to accept. We pray that your word makes a difference in our lives this morning, that we would not leave here this morning unchanged, but that we would leave here changed by what your word has done in our lives and in our hearts, and that you have brought us closer to you. Thank you, Father, again for your word, the words of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I know that Ed was here last week, and he covered... Um, uh, a lot of this a section here in John chapter 6, but I'm going to begin in verse 53 this morning, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. So John 6, 53, Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Title of the lesson this morning is Drawn by the Father. And after Jesus feeds the 5,000, this is how John chapter 6 opens up. After Jesus feeds the 5,000 with bread, he teaches in a synagogue in Capernaum that he is the bread of life. And John writes about the response of four different groups to Jesus' claim of being the bread of life. Those four groups are one, the crowd, two, the Jews, three, the disciples, and then four, the twelve, which obviously are a subset or smaller group of the disciples. And so in our passage, he's just told them something really mind-blowingly crazy, that you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to have eternal life. Now, obviously, he didn't mean that literally, because if he did mean that literally, there would be none of Jesus left to eat for us 2,000 years later. He would have been gone a long time ago. 
So he did not mean that. Two simple points this morning. Well, one kind of complex point. The second one is simple. The first one, accepting hard teaching. Accepting hard teaching. Again, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So these responses by these four different groups of people, one, the crowd, when Jesus initially tells them that he is the the bread of life that had come down from heaven, for the crowds, this was over their heads. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They were confused. And so they say, um, "Well, well, Jesus, give us this bread to eat. And Jesus has to tell them, I am the bread of life. The next group, who were the Jews, they grumbled when Jesus said he had come down from heaven. And they say, who is this guy who says that he's come down from heaven? Because don't we know his mother? Don't we know his father? Obviously, he has not come down from heaven. And so they understood Jesus, unlike the first group, but they strongly disagreed with what Jesus said. Now, the third group, who were the disciples, they also grumbled. Verse 61 says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, these guys, they they were not disagreeing with Jesus coming down from heaven. They agreed with it. They were following Jesus, and they believed that Jesus had come down from heaven. But when he started to talk about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, I can imagine that they were probably thinking, okay, you've kind of crossed a line here. You're going a bit too far than what I had reasonably expected you to say to us or expected us to do. You coming down from heaven, amen, gotcha. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, gotcha. Eat your flesh, drink your blood, Uh uh-uh. That's something different. This was the hard teaching. So last week, Ed explained what Jesus probably meant when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And we find that in verse 40. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. And so the point that Jesus is making is that you have to consume me. I have to be your food. I have to be your sustenance. I have to be what you rely upon, spiritually speaking. You can't rely upon anything else. And my flesh and my blood is what you must consume in order to have this connection with God, a connection with the Father. And as Jesus made it more clear about what it meant to follow him, I believe that the disciples realized that they had bitten off a little bit more than they could chew. They were following him, but it was turning out to be a little bit more than they had expected. And Jesus says, well, you know what? If that gets you going... If that freaks you out, we're going to go to a whole other level. He says, what's going to happen then when the Son of Man ascends to where he was before? And he's making a reference to the crucifixion. For 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 John, the writer of John, the, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the ascension was all one thing for John. And so as Jesus makes this comment about, I'm going to go to where I was before, he's speaking about the crucifixion. And he's saying, if eating my flesh and drinking my blood is hard, wait until you see the Son of Man die on the cross, be buried and rise again from the dead and ultimately be ascended. What are you going to do then? So following Jesus 
is like that for some. After they've decided to follow Jesus, they get a hard teaching. And sometimes people realize, you know what? I've bitten off a little bit more than I can chew. I'm being called to a greater level of sacrifice than I expected, a greater level of obedience than I perhaps wanted, a greater level of submission or dependence than I'm comfortable with. And because of that, they doubt, they question their decision, and they turn back from following Jesus. I've told the story many times. That's the problem of being in one place for too long. Everybody hears all of your stories. But I know that there's new people here that have not heard this story before, so I'm going to say it once again. There was a time about six months after I'd become a Christian when I was ready to turn back on Jesus. I did not want to follow him anymore. I felt like the church was just way too consuming of my time. The brothers and sisters were way too all up in my business, calling me all the time, knocking on my door all the time, wanting to hang out. And honestly, I'm an introvert. I was very, very selfish and I didn't like it. And so about six months in, I was at yet another meeting that they wanted to have. And they were saying, well, next week we're going to do blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, I thought, I ain't coming back here next week. <laughs> and on purpose, I did not take notes at that meeting because I thought, I don't, I, what am I going to need notes for? I'm not coming back. And so I went home that night and I thought, well, I know that if I tell them I'm leaving, then they're going to pull out that old Bible thing and... They're going to like say, well, where in the Bible does it say that you can leave or that we're just doing too much or we're following Jesus too much? So I said, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to show them where you really don't need to do all this stuff in order to be a Christian. You really don't need to love people this hard. You really don't need to fellowship this much. You really don't need to share your faith that much and everything else. I'm going to show them. So as I flipped through the pages of the Bible, in particular Acts, I stayed up till about 3 o'clock that morning. And I ended up talking myself into staying in the church. <laughs> because I realized, whoa, this really is what Jesus is expecting me to do. And I may not have known that, but I realized it at that point. And obviously, I stayed. Jesus' response shows that he expects us to accept his hard teachings. He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They grumble. They freak out. Jesus says, if this has got you going crazy, wait until the other stuff comes. Which means, I expect you to accept this hard teaching. I've come down from heaven and I expect you to believe that. I've said you got to eat my flesh, drink my blood in order to have eternal life and I'll raise you up in the last day. I expect you to believe that. And Jesus says many other hard things that he expects us to accept. Let the dead bury their own dead. Woo! That's insensitive, Jesus. Well, I expect you to believe it. Anyone who does not hate Father, mother, brother, sister, wife, and children, yes, even their own life cannot be my disciple. To the rich young ruler, sell all that you have and give your possessions to the poor, then come, follow me. And we all know in Luke 18, the rich young ruler turned away sad because he did not accept that teaching of Jesus Christ. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Literally, no. 
But he is pointing to the extreme measures that we have to take against sin in our lives, in particular sexual sin. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. We've said it before, we live in a society of outrage. The smallest thing offends us, we're ready, like, bring it on, I'm ready to fight, I'm ready to picket, I'm ready to protest, I'm going online, I'm getting on Facebook, Instagram, whatever I gotta do. But I will defend myself, no one will tread on me. Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I ain't praying for them. They called me this name. They looked at me this way. They didn't give me this job. Why would I pray for them? That's a hard teaching, Jesus. Who can accept it? Jesus expects us to accept his hard teachings. Why were these teachings hard? It's because they're spiritually discerned. They are of spiritual and heavenly origin. They are not from planet Earth. They are principles that have their function in the spiritual realm. Their benefits are not immediately seen and obvious to the naked eye, to the person whose mind is set on things below instead of on things above. And even in Matthew chapter 16, after Peter gives his great Confession. Jesus asked him, who do you say, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they say, some say Elijah, you know, some say John the Baptist. Jesus says, well, what about you? What do you say? Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So again, John 6, verse 63, it says the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and full of life. What does this mean? These life-giving words are from the spirit of God. And if you have trouble accepting them, it's because you're not in tune and in touch with the spirit of God. That's it. It's because your mind is set on earthly and worldly things. And if we have trouble and if we're struggling with all the the, the hard teachings of Jesus Christ, whoa, watch out! Because that's exactly what Jesus expects us to do. It's to accept his teachings. Live the way that he's called us to live. Are you with me? His hard teachings call us to live by faith in him and not by sight. To follow his spiritual roadmap instead of a worldly roadmap. To live according to the spirit and not according to our flesh. And it's hard to accept for those whose eyes and hearts are not open. We don't want to surrender. We don't want to give up our lives. We want to keep our lives. We don't see benefit and delayed gratification or humbling ourselves? What benefit could there possibly be in lowering myself and elevating someone else? Pain now, gain later, what? Others first, myself second, no way. 
I want to hold a grudge until I die against that person. I don't want to forgive them. That's the way the flesh is. That's us, you guys. That's us. And so the disciples ask, who can accept it? Is there anyone who would actually do this? Who can accept the supernatural teachings of the Son of God? Now, I assume that all of us desire to accept these teachings, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) The answer is those whom the Father has drawn. Those whom the Father has drawn. Those people accept the hard teachings of Jesus. And so let's look quickly at these responses again, these three statements that I began talking about. The first one, look with me in John chapter 6, verse 32. This is as Jesus speaks to the crowd. You can see in verse 22 that he's speaking to the crowd. Verse 24, he's speaking to the crowd. And then in verse 32, he says, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's verse 37. And so there's a statement here that Jesus is making about the Father initiating something in us that ultimately gives us to Jesus. And once we've been given, we will come to him. That statement is coupled with their disbelief in verse 36. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. So what's Jesus implying? He's saying that since you have not accepted my hard teachings, since you have not come to me, that means the Father has not given you to me. That's the implication. The second statement, chapter 6, verse 41. This is to the Jews. Verse 41, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. So this is a similar statement about the initiating and the father drawing us. And allowing us to come to Jesus in order to be risen up at the last day. And again, the statement comes with their disbelief. Stop grumbling among yourselves. What's the implication? The same thing. Since they had not come to him, the father therefore must not have what? Drawn them. That's what he's saying. Third one, to the disciples. Verse 64. He says, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, 
This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has what? Enabled them. Do you see the similarity in these three statements? When he says, this is why, what's why? Well, their disbelief. Their disbelief is why. And it's a third statement about the Father initiating and enabling that allows us to come to Jesus. And the implication is since they also are not coming to Jesus because they're not accepting the hard teachings, then therefore they must not have been enabled to come. Now I know that we're going deep here, a little bit of Bible study, but that's good. So we've seen three statements here about the Father initiating a drawing or an enabling in us, not us initiating with Him, Him initiating with us, All three were made after the disbelief of the crowd, the Jews and the disciples. And all three imply that the crowd, the Jews and the disciples have not been drawn or have not been enabled. And that's why they can't accept Jesus' hard teaching. So what's the point? We have to be drawn. We have to be drawn. We have to be enabled to come to Jesus. We have to be enabled to understand, enabled to obey this amazing miracle. And those of us who are Christians is not of ourselves. It's of God. Now, it may sound callous or insensitive because some of these verses, it sounds like the implication for those today who have not come to Jesus is the same implication for those 2000 years ago, meaning If you're not a Christian, you haven't been drawn. If you're not a Christian, you haven't been enabled, right? That goes back to my introduction, a Calvinist perspective. And so for that person, it might be easy to say, if I'm not coming to Jesus and accepting his hard teachings, then it's not my fault. I haven't been drawn. I haven't been enabled. Which would also mean... If I'm not risen up at the last day, that's not my fault either. Or even worse, God has chosen some to be drawn and others to not be drawn. Or God has chosen some to be saved and some to be damned and condemned. Which would make God very mean, which would make God very malicious. And it would fly in the face of God giving man free will. This is not true. Okay. First John says that God is love. Second Peter 3 says that he doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. And first Timothy 2 says he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so the answer here lies in how does God draw? How does God enable? Verse 45 says, It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. It's a quote from Isaiah. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. And in verse 63, the words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. And so how does the Father draw and enable? How does he initiate this spark that allows us to come to him? It's through his word. It's through his word. His word is full of spirit. His word is full of life. 
And his word is, uh, again, verse 45, everyone who has heard the Father, how do you hear? Through his words. And learn from him, how do you do that? Through his words. Comes to me. It's his word that produces faith in us. Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so God is not mean or malicious. God is love. He does initiate and give men the chance to be drawn, to be enabled to come to Jesus. And yes, we have free will. And we use our free will to choose whether we will respond to God's word or not. And because of hard hearts, the crowd, the Jews, and some of these disciples chose not to listen to the word. They studied it, but they missed out on Jesus Christ. They didn't allow it to take root and to produce faith and life in them. And so they were not drawn. They were not enabled by the Father. They did not come to Jesus and they could not accept his hard teachings. For us, we will only accept the hard teachings of Jesus when we've heard and accepted his word in our lives. And so, are you hearing the message? Are you listening to the word of God? Are you studying it? Are you living it? I encourage us to dust off those reading plans from the beginning of the year. I know that we had them. I'm going to get started, and some of us were bold enough to say, I'm going to get started in Genesis. And I'm going to truck my way right on through, you know, Exodus and Leviticus. And then by then you're done. By the time you got to Leviticus, forget about it, right? We started out great. Some of us started out with scripture memory plans. You know, we said, let me just start out with an easy one. Jesus wept. (laughs) We like forgot that one already, you know. I'm encouraged by Leslie. Leslie and Delicia are starting a, um, a, a scripture kind of memory club for the sisters. And they've been working very hard on that, doing a great job with that. If you're a part of that, I encourage you to, to, to continue with that. Leslie's saying, Shh, maybe I'm not supposed to say anything about it. Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> Memorizing scripture is still good. Maybe you just need to grab a different translation. You know, the NIV 2011, after you've read it so many times, man, grab an ESV. Grab a new, new revised standard version. You know, grab the NET. Grab something. Something to freshen up your times with God. But get into the Word of God. Because the Word of God is how we are drawn. It is how we are enabled. It's how it allows us to accept the hard teachings of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news and the second point and kind of a close too. Notice Jesus has gone through four different groups. Each one of these groups has gotten smaller and smaller as he's gone. The crowd that had been fed, the the, the 5,000 that had been fed, uh, followed Jesus around the northern side of the Sea of Galilee and, and they found him in Capernaum. So there are a lot of people there and that's the first crowd that Jesus speaks to, right? They don't really get it. It goes over their head. And then it's the Jews, a smaller group, that begin to grumble. Jesus' disciples then stop grumbling. And then it's an even smaller group. Now it's actually his followers, if you want to call them that. This group begins to grumble. And then now he's down to just the 12. Just the 12. Verse 
66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. He's there almost by himself now. You do not want to leave too, do you? And Jesus wasn't asking that in kind of like a, a beggar kind of a way. Like, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus, he was not worried about it, okay? He was leaving the door open. He's basically saying, look, if you want to go, you can get to stepping if you want to. A brother's going to be all right. He leaves it. Okay, maybe it wasn't that extreme, okay? He wasn't talking Ebonics back then and all that kind of stuff. But I think you know my point. He leaves the door open. And Simon says, basically, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. I'm turning back. He didn't say that you have the healings of eternal life that many people were following Jesus for. He didn't say you have the miracles of eternal life. He doesn't say you have the bread and the fish of eternal life. He says you have the words of eternal life. And based on those words, we have come to believe and to know that you are the son of God. They got it. They may not have understood everything perfectly, all this with blood, drinking blood and eating flesh. And they weren't doing everything right, but they knew that they were in the right place and they knew they were following the right man. They knew that. And they knew of no other place to get what they were getting. No other place we're getting this besides Jesus Christ. And I'm following him. Eating flesh, drinking blood. I'll figure that out later. But I'm going to follow the man. Do you see what I'm saying here? I'm saying that some of us are wrestling and struggling in our faith. And I'm saying, where are you going to go? Where are you going to get this? Are you getting it off of an Instagram feed? You getting off of a binge watching Netflix? Is that where you're getting this? Where are you getting encouragement for your soul? A Hallmark card? Where are you getting it? What else is better than this? What else is better than getting together, singing some songs? Sometimes we're off key. Sometimes we start late. I don't care. It don't matter. Preacher that gets up there, he spits, stumbles over his words. Tablet goes dead. But where are you going to get this, really? Tell me. You're not getting this at your job. Is your job encouraging you? Come on, let's, let's go. We're going to be more like Jesus today. Is your job doing that? No. Some of us, our families aren't doing that, but we want to run to our families. Where are you going to go? There's no other way besides Jesus. No other way besides his word. And I said that this was good news, and it is good news. Because as I read this, I thought, man, like all of those people, the crowd, the Jews, even those kind of whatever, shallow, fake disciples, none of them got it except for the 12. Except for the 12. 
And this is good news for us because as faithful disciples who have not turned back, we've been drawn by the Father. We've been enabled. All of those other guys, Jesus was making it really clear. You ain't been enabled. You ain't been drawn to the Father. That's why you don't believe. But we're here because we believe. Amen? That's an amazing thing. That means that we're in that small group of the 12. And that's encouraging. That means that he will never drive us away. Jesus will never drive you away from him. That means that he will lose none of those who have been given to him. That means that we will be risen up at the last day and we will live forever. Jesus says that. That's encouraging. What an honor. What a privilege to be numbered among the few who say Jesus is Lord. Why us? I don't know. I don't know. But I think it has to do with the gracious gift of God through the word that has been spoken to us. God has initiated through his word. We've responded. The words of eternal life. And we've got to tell others about what we've got. If you're a guest this morning, have you been drawn to the father? Have you eaten the bread from heaven? Or perhaps have you started and turned back? Faith comes from hearing the message. We encourage you to sit down and open the Bible with us. Let God graciously draw you 